Hey there, I'm Keith Malley. I'm Hemda. We host Keith and the Girl, a podcast that started in March of 2005, going on 17 years. And we're somehow missing you. We talk about news, entertainment, and our and our guests' personal lives. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, like uh, Keith catfished his father for a year, and that's how he found out what makes his daddy's libido jingle. Oh, daddies. Oh, God. All right, well, Hemda had two abortions. Hmm? He probably did, too. All right. Well, uh, Hemda's husband cheated on her. We talked about that. Keith probably did, too. Uh, Keith smoked a banana peel to get high when he was in the army. Uh, Hemda abandoned the Israeli army. Hmm? She said, no, thanks. Keith once smoked crack. He said, yes, thanks. Uh, Hemda's a square, thanks. Keith doesn't know how to swim. Hemda probably did, too. What? Anyway, I don't know. It's Keith and the girl... And we're missing you as a listener. Where you been? Let's catch up. Subscribe for free to Keith and the Girl wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. In 2021, mental health is finally a thing. So many people are struggling right now and aren't feeling like their normal selves. Tell me about it. Therapy helps, and it doesn't have to leave you sitting around just talking about your feelings. Who wants to do that? So what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. You can privately talk to someone if you feel like you're not dealing well with stress or if you're having relationship issues. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. That's sooner than we got electricity. Okay, join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. See if it's for you, because you are your greatest asset. I like that. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and the Eric Anders Lang Show listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Anders. That's BetterHelp.com slash Anders. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, today, we have a really great interview with Maurice Allen, who uh, who I, I just love talking to. The guy is, um, you know, not only does uh, does he hit the golf ball a long way, but he hits the thoughts a long way. And um, really great insights from, uh, from talking to him about his life experience and some of the decisions that got him into long driving, which was not his life game plan. So... Um, Anyway, coming at you live from the uh, chilly Texas uh, winter, apparently. It is definitely winter. And uh, my thoughts go out to all the people that, um, you know, had extenuating circumstances. A lot of people without power and water. Um, we we did get our power back after like four, two days with no power, which was kind of interesting. You're kind of just sitting inside wondering why you're still breathing steam. Uh, and now we're boiling water. We got the heat back, but we don't have any water. So, you know, I mean, it's one of these things where you just kind of got to go with it and just, you know, make the best of it. So we pulled out the playing cards, played some gin. Luckily, I went to the store before and we got some um, groceries. So that was good. Made some shepherd's pie on Sunday night. That was delicious. Shepherd's pie is definitely the, um, you know, the 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 food to be eaten during a natural disaster. If, if you can, if you got it, it's great. You got to plan ahead, though. Um, so anyway, big, uh, big thought, big, big thinking goes out to the, uh, the teams getting electricity and water back in order in this insane temperature and, you know, driving around in these crazy conditions. So, um, we'll be back on our feet in no time. And for now, enjoy a great conversation with Maurice Allen. All right. Good morning, Mr. 
Mr. Maurice Allen. How are you today? I'm good, man. How are you doing, Biggie? Good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm just, uh, you know, we. Uh, I'm. I'm a little. I'm a little groggy. Do you ever? <laughs> do, you, do you? Do you ever? Uh, you know, like my my job. It's like kind of okay if I'm groggy because I because I do a lot of listening. But for you, what what is it like when you show up to a professional event and you're just kind of like you didn't get great sleep? What do you do? Um, you know, that's funny, man. I've had that happen several occasions. Uh, World Championships was mainly the one place where I never was able to sleep. And the one time I was able to sleep, I won a world title. So how funny <laughs> is that, right? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I think it's it, it happens on so many different accords and so many different occasions. You know, anxiety, lack of preparation um, could be, you know, sometimes when you work out too much, the body's just tossing and turning and you're sore. You can't actually find a position that's comfortable to sleep but you know that i think that's the thing as a professional athlete um no one cares if you're groggy no one cares what's going on in your personal life you're there to put on the show and entertain and give it the best that you can you see it on all the time on the pga tour those guys justin thomas is a good example just this past week you know everything going on with his grandfather uh passing and he still had to go out and perform you know you still have to do what you do when you're in that moment and then you deal with your personal stuff on your own you know, I've, I've, uh, I've heard the definition of, um, like a quote, the definition of, um, being a professional, it's some, something along the lines of like being a professional is doing what you love, even when you don't want to do it. That is 1000% as, as good as you can make it. Um, you know, people always look at professional athletes and say that, well, we're playing a game. Uh, honestly, some days you just don't, it's not there. Uh, you see it a lot. Brooks Kepka talked about it you know, with the lack of fans, a lot of times as a professional athlete, you don't show up feeling like it. Some days you just be like, eh. but what ends up happening is, you know, you get there and you feed off the energy of the fans. Um, I played in the Diamond Resorts um, a couple of weeks ago and I re-injured my broken hand. And it was funny, my caddy and I looked at it. He said, man, when you were around the crowd, you played, I think on average, I was two under for those three holes that the crowd was there. And it was like the pain from the hand completely went away. I was able to feed off that energy. Uh, that electricity is is something real. You saw it this week, you know, when the PGA Tour had, I won't say fans, but they had, you know, some spectators, a few spectators there. Uh, not Definitely not the norm, especially not for the waste management, but you know, guys started playing a little different. The shots, you know, the pressure started to mound a little more. You know, guys fell apart. They weren't able to, they cracked under the pressure just because the simple fact it wasn't a, a friendly round of golf with your friends or your, your guys that you know, in their case, the colleagues. Um, it was a little more on it. Even with TV being there, that's irrelevant um, when, when you don't have people, you know, 15, 20 yards away from you. Well, and, you know, speaking of fans, I mean, your professional career has consisted of fans being engaged in, in a totally different way, n normal to golf, right? You're, you're kind of in like a, uh, it seems like a bullpen. I don't know. Is there a name for that? What do, what do they call it? Um, no, I mean, we hit on the platform or on grid on, on, on yes, yeah, a grid, but the grid, well, the grid, the grid is actually where the ball goes into um you're on the t block that's what we call where you're t actually block. t block or t box um but it's it's something that is you're in this especially at world championships the only way i can say it is like you're on the stage and there's this amphitheater around you 
and it can get absolutely nuts. Uh, music is blaring. Um, you know, the TV component, that part was okay for me. For me, it was always being able to hit under the lights. Uh, as a track and field athlete, there were very, very few times you ever got to run under the lights. It was only a big tournament and you knew kind of like, and when the lights are on, you got to shine, which is kind of funny, but it's just, it's just <laughs> one of those moments, man. You, it's just one of those things you got to do it. I love that. When the lights are on, you got to shine. Yeah. I mean, because cause most times, you know, at a golf tournament, it's it's the most like a baseball game, right? Of any type of golf yeah. event. Yeah. But you, go ahead. No, no, I was saying that you're exactly right. You didn't, uh, you, you didn't grow up wanting to do that uh, briefly, right? I mean, you, it's so interesting to me that you have this experience of playing professionally, you know, professional golf on a course, but also on the tee block, which is my new favorite phrase. <laughs> but, but also you have the experience of playing golf recreationally and just being like, this is a fun game. How, how did the game change when y- your, um, you know, goals changed? Um, I guess for me, you know, the, the easiest way I can express golf to people is golf is you're playing physical chess against a, another individual that you'll never know, you'll never meet, probably is dead. Most course designers that we play on now, especially the big ones are dead. Um, and they put these things out there, these obstacles for you to find yourself. Um, golf changed for me as I started to grow and mature as a human being, and I started to really instead of comparing and contrasting as people so often do in today's world, and that's where we're going in this narcissistic society that we're in, I started really just kind of smelling the roses. I went back completely old school. My mom always talks about living life in reverse or looking through the rearview mirror. Um, that's when the game changed for me, man. I started understanding that, you know, hey, even in the score side, you know, you and I play together, okay, we're at the 360-yard hole. You can hit an iron or a hybrid or whatever off the tee and you leave yourself 100 yards and you stuff it to four feet and you make the putt. I can drive the green, be 40 feet away. I can miss the eagle putt, you know, leave it three feet and I make the birdie putt. Guess what? We both made three. You know, there's nothing nothing more grand about mine than yours. At the end of the day, they're both birdies and we're tied and we go on to the next hole. If we're in match play, we're all square still. Um, and that kind of helped me understand life a lot better. And from that standpoint, I started just kind of using my science brain and playing the odds with the math. Start looking at golf like blackjack. You know, you always want to keep the odds in your favor. Keep the keep the house from always winning. Uh, nine times out of ten on the golf course for the, the amateur and the novice, the house wins and they win big. Uh, you know, every now and again, the amateur will win a hole or they'll win. And that's the one thing that kind of keeps them coming back. You know, they'll have that one shot or that one hole on the last three or four holes where they've been wanting to give it up for the first 16 holes or the first 15 holes. And do I, man, I'm done with this. This thing sucks. I want to throw my clubs in the water. And then there'll be this one thing, this one glimmer of hope um, that keeps them coming back. And that's kind of the same thing you see in life when all the chips are down, you feel like it just can't get any worse. It'll give you just a little bit of oxygen, just a little bit, just to keep you breathing just for a little while to endure whatever's coming next. And so when my mindset changed, golf changed for me as a, as a human being. Um, I, I love that in your story, we both made three. I appreciate that. 
<laughs> that's what's gonna happen. So it's okay. I respect just, that. Just, yeah. I mean, um, but that's that's life, man. That's what golf is. Golf is life. I I love that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I just I'm Maurice, I'm pretty new to the game of golf and it's amazing how I could take my experience on the golf course and kind of turn that into life experience as well. You just realize yeah. things about yourself on the golf course, whether it's how you deal with bad shots or how distracted mm-hmm. you get, how focused you can get. Yeah, and that's so a big kind of, thing. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. You got to look at this, you know, especially as an outside person coming into golf. You hear a lot of times people say that business deals happen on the golf course. That's the biggest lie in the world. I've never seen anyone sign a contract on a golf course. It never happens. But what does happen is businessmen or business people, businessmen and women, um, they have the opportunity of seeing how the person they're doing business with conducts themselves. So a lot of business deals get killed on the golf course more than anything else because they get to see how you handle with adversity. They get to see how you handle with success. They get to see how defeat weighs on you. Um, They get to see if you're a courteous individual, all these different things. And when you look at this game, um, there's a lot that a person can learn from this game. There's so much that this game can do for an individual more so than any other game because it's the only game where you can't blame anyone else but yourself. The ball doesn't move unless you hit it. The club doesn't move unless you swing it. And the thing that connects all those things is you. And if either you ha- have the skill, you have the imagination or all these different things, or you don't, it's, it's the most simplest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I think some of my worst, lowest experiences on golf courses weren't my bad shots. It was how I handled the bad shots. Which you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, for, for life, it's not really the bad things that get you down. It's how you handle the bad things. Exactly. Come back from them. That is exactly it, man. And that's why the game is so beautiful. If more people played it, it's the, it's the game that gives you a self-evaluation for four and a half hours or, well, three to five hours, depending on where you're playing. But it's a constant self-evaluation. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. It's, it's, I guess, therapy, you know, for people who are into therapy and people who think that therapy is there uh, for them. And it's a good part. Golf is probably one of the most therapeutic things on earth just because there's nobody but you. Um, you get a chance to kind of work out your problems. And if you're if you're courageous enough to see your shortcomings, then they're right there in front of you. It's interesting because you, know, you said the word therapeutic and my first thought was, Nobody likes going to therapy. <laughs> they don't. No one does, but everybody loves going to golf. And golf is, that is what makes golf so good. I mean, when you think about it, therapy works when a person is vulnerable and they submit to the facts that are in front of them. You know, a therapist can give you their opinion, you know, and that's probably depending on who you have. And that's why people change from therapist to therapist to therapist. Um, But when you're looking at you, you're fighting the age old battle of man versus self. And I don't mean men, I mean human, you know, individual man versus self. Um, The only person who knows you is you. I don't care who you talk to. Um, If you're not real with yourself, if you if you don't stop lying to yourself, if you can't be, quote unquote, butt naked with yourself, then you'll never really be able to make change. And that's one of the things you have to do in life. Um, to become better or to achieve growth. It's not even about success. It's just about growth. 
And as you grow in life, you know, you should be a different person today than you were a month ago and so on and so forth. You should continue to try to elevate yourself. And the only way you can do that, you got to get butt naked, baby. I mean, I have played golf naked, but I don't think that's what we're talking about. That is definitely <laughs> not what we're talking about. You are going to jail for that. I can <laughs> hey, you know, Maurice, it was in Florida. Go figure. <laughs> Anything goes here, man. I'll be honest with you. Anything goes. I'm not shocked. Um, I, uh, you know, you and I have something else in common that you probably don't know. Um, I mean, maybe it's not really in common, but, um, I, when I was young, when I was in high school, I was on the, um, the, uh, oh shit. What's it called? The, uh, when you're, when you run long distances, cross country, cross country, I was on the cross country team. Nice. Yeah. You but, were, uh, you're, you're crazy. Why am I crazy? You're, you were, you didn't, what was your, um, sp particular, um, your favorite event in track and field when, because that was your main gig in college. Yeah. Under, under 400 meters, man, 100 meters, 200 meters, this cross country thing. I've got other things to do. I'm on the track <laughs> for no more than 21 seconds and, and I'm done. <laughs> 21 seconds to go 400 meters. No, 21 seconds to go 200 meters. Uh, okay. Fastest time I ever ran in 200 was 20.5, 20 20.4. Um, 400 meters was once in a blue moon every now and again. Um, did not, it, it hurt too bad. Honestly, what, I didn't want to do it. What is your heart doing when you're done sprinting for, for you know, 20 seconds? Asking me, why did we do this? What were you thinking? You why sure? am I here? Yeah. And most importantly, why are we going to do it again? <laughs> and did you want me to do better? <laughs> yeah. We've done you, this once we've cheated death. And for some reason you feel that it's a good idea to try this again. So are you wearing, what's the footwear like? And you're on like the gravel track, right? Or the, the no, sandy? It's, it's rubber. Um, rubber. They use a, yeah. It's a Mondo surface. It's a synthetic rubber surface. Uh, you use a shoe with little metal spikes in it. Um, eighth of an inch, I believe is what they ended up going to. Um, it got pretty, pretty cool at one point. Um, even still to this day, I still sprint. Um, I don't know how to describe the feeling. If you're a runner, then that's just where you go. That's, that's your place of peace, even though it almost kills you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's a, it's a different thing. I use it for a cross training for golf, believe it or not. Um, when you're long driving, if you look at an individual who long drive, go through a long drive practice, I've done some of the biometrics on mine. Um, shout out to Whoop for that. But, um, you know, an hour of a long drive practice, uh, you can burn up to a thousand calories. And wow. Your heart rate, yeah, your heart rate gets up to about 180, 170. Um, you know, that's what the big thing that you're looking at with Bryson. If you ever noticed when he was on the PGA Tour about to hit a shot, he kind of pump himself up. He'd do this really weird breathing kind of like what you would see with a power lifter um and there's some serious similarities to it um it's it is a different world whoa it's literally like psyching yourself up for a major move which is ironic because in golf it's all about keeping calm in the actual game of golf so for him to be able to flip that switch and continue to go back and forth you know to go from revving his heart rate up so he can, you know, recruit more and get his body geared for this 
you know, explosion of power in hitting a golf ball and then to turn right back around and have to hit a touch shot or have to hit this delicate shot out of the fairway or the rough and then to make a putt and to keep his hand steady and then to continue to cycle that process over and over and over again. So you, uh, you, you're, you're, you're a track and field athlete. You're wearing the, the, I'm sure the dope shoes with the little spikes you said, like, I'll bet it felt really good to put those on. It does. It does. To me, it's like, that's actually like, I don't love, there's a lot of things about golf. I don't love. And, and one, a big one is like the fashion, but I feel like if you could wear the track and field outfit on the golf course, I don't know. No, 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 no. I I would never (laughs) wear a one piece (laughs) on a golf course. No, no, thank you. Um, no, no, I don't think I think it means something more athletic. Uh, well, but here's the thing. I mean, we've got to work on your, 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 your golf attire, man. We get you some, <laughs> some swag going in the right direction. If you put on like, for me, my go-to are grace and joggers. Ooh. Absolutely love their joggers. And they're not the joggers that are really weird around the ankle or anything like that. They do a really good job on the jogger and it's a super athletic feel. Um, you know, you have to kind of go with whatever your vibe is or whatever you feel your fashion statement would be. Maybe even if you went to the point where with the shoes, you know, I don't wear stock shoes. I actually haven't worn stock shoes in years. All the shoes I wear are custom painted. You know, I do kind of like the shoe customizers. I send them there and they send them back. Um, and that kind of puts you in a different a different arena as far as how you feel about going into your game. What do you go for with the polo? Oh man, I'm I'm still on I'm I'm gracing all the way through, man. I, I go with their, their whole stuff. Uh depending on what shoes I'm wearing. You know, sometimes I wear a printed polo, which will make me go to a simple shoe, or I'll wear a plain shirt and then I'll trick it out with the shoes. So definitely try to keep it one of those things where the, the swagger's just it's there. You gotta have one or the other. You can't do both. It's a fashion, it's a it's a it's a it's a risky fashion move. It is a very risky fashion move. You know, it's 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 tough. You can pull it off, but it's a it's a risky one because you, you want to have little accents. You know, for me, um I'll throw a different color belt on there. So that's the other side of it. Um do all my belts from House of Fleming right there in Atlanta. Um, those folks there, so you can get some really funky belt colors with some funky stitching. So I try not to overdo it. You know, there's a difference between being high fashion and looking like a clown. So you kind of, you know, you gotta golf, golf, golf is trying to gain more fashion. Hopefully it will. It's trying, it's trying its best. In my old age, I've found that I'm, I, I just get as simple as possible with the outfit. I, I don't know whether it's I'm impatient or whether I'm becoming more boring I don't know, but I just keep it very, just so simple. I, it's almost like I don't even recognize myself anymore. Well, I mean, the thing about it is you have to go with what you feel. That's expression. See, expression, like that's the one thing about clothing, right? Clothing is another way of expressing yourself. So some days you may feel super stylish and then other days you just feel, you know, simple. There's nothing wrong with that. I wouldn't use the word simple. You just... It's just how you feel that day. Sometimes you need a little more pick me up. Sometimes you don't. So, so this moment that I really want to talk about that, uh, I didn't know this, but, but from what I understand, um, 
So you're playing golf 10 years ago, recreationally, and you go to get fitted for some clubs <laughs> and you hit a seven iron out of the park, literally. How, how does that just happen? What was the reaction on the club fitter's face when you hit, how far was it? 235. 235 seven iron. I can almost say I, that'll never happen in my life, in my body. <laughs> It'll just never, unless I blade it down a canyon, downwind, it's just not happening. Yeah, it's, it's, it's now the funny thing is the connection. So I was actually playing golf with my cousin and I used to play golf with them all the time. Um, but I wasn't a golfer at this time. It was just something for me to do to go hang out with my family. Um, but you so, had, you made a birdie, like where, where, did you have clubs? Were you like. Um, I had some clubs. They were hand-me-down clubs. Um, I didn't know distances. I didn't know. We didn't even keep score. Like we were just out there just hitting the ball. So think about guys, you know how people go to the driving range and just whacking balls, right? Think about doing that, but on an actual golf course. So that's, that's kind of <laughs> where we were. Like we're just rolling up the golf course whacking balls you know what i mean just and, and there's no rhyme or reason to it we're just enjoying each other's company we're definitely not messing up the people behind us and we're just keeping it moving and laughing and fun, laughing and joking at each other and i had a club and it broke ironically it was my seven iron and my cousin was like hey just go go down the street get this thing fixed you know we're playing tomorrow i said all right fine and when i by the time i got to the shop they were closed i went the next day and there was this super long line of people there. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just wait patiently. No problem. And I told the guys, Hey, I broke this club. They looked at my club. Like, oh man, this thing's outdated. Blah, 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 blah. We got, you know, the whole gig. We need to get you into a new set. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, Dude, just fix the, whatever this is. And they said, okay, well, we need to figure out what flex you need. I didn't even know what flex was. I had no clue. So regular and stiff. And then I was like, it was just a set of clubs. He's like, well, we need to see how far you hit this. And he was like, well, how far do you hit this, this seven iron? I said, I don't know. I just hit it. And he just gave me this look like, okay. So we're in there. I think it was a flight scope or something like that. And I hit it, it hit, you know, one of their clubs that they had. And they said, well, we'll give you this one. Maybe we'll figure out your flex from this. And it went two thirty, and he looked at me real funny. He was like, "Yeah, I'll be right back." And he went and grabbed two or other two other guys. He was like, "Yeah, I think you guys need to come check this thing out." And he was like, "Can you do that again?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm just I'm hitting the ball. I had no clue what any of this means." And they're just sitting there looking at me all weird, and their faces are all crazy. And they were like, "Hey, have you ever tried this thing called long drive?" And you know, the internet wasn't really big back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Like it wasn't. It wasn't a really big thing. I know this was 2010. So, you know, there was no Instagram really like that. And, you know, people were still trying to figure out how to integrate the internet and stuff. So I went to the, they showed me this Long Drivers of America website. And I'm sitting here looking at these guys. And I'm like, nah, man, I don't, don't want to do that. And they were like, oh, man, go to Wildwood, go to this event. And I'm from Orlando. We're in Tallahassee. And Wildwood to me is Wildwood, Florida, which is, an hour north of Orlando. I'm like, dude, I'm not driving three hours to go and try something I've never tried before. I'm good. And they were like, all right, well, fine. We'll fix your club and, you know, come back in a day or two. So I, I went to the golf course where my cousins and those guys were already playing, but they were on rain delay. I told them the story. And he was like, man, you idiot. Wildwood is a country club 15 minutes down the road. So they all packed me in the car. We went back to these guys um, and they gave me, um, do you know who Kenny Knox 
used to be a PGA Tour player. I, I'm familiar with the name, but I don't know too much. He went to FSU, but he was a part of this golf et cetera brand that they had. He was one of the owners. Right. So they gave they gave me two of his drivers. It was a tailor made tour burner, um, like a nine degree or something like that. One was a nine, one was a seven and a half, I believe. And then I ended up going to the tournament, hit every ball out of bounds, but I was like 40 yards longer than everybody else. So that's kind of how I got bit by the golf bug. You know, in the seven days in Utopia, they say you don't choose the game, the game chooses you. So that's kind of how I got into it. The ironic thing is the guys who fit me for the clubs were the guys from Sick Putters who were Bryson DeChambeau's putter company. (laughs) Whoa. So that's the funniest part of the whole ordeal. They've been in the long game for a long time, ironically. Dude, that is crazy. Like, like what a ridiculous story to, to just like walk in there randomly and have your life essentially, I don't know, take a right Thanks. turn or a left turn or, or completely not go the way. Cause at that point you're playing, you were, you were, um, you were studying to become a chiropractor or that's no, what you so wanted I, to do. I had actually, at that point, um, I was stuck between going to med school and chiropractic school. Um, at that point when that actually occurred, um, I hadn't decided if I was, which one I was going to go do yet. I was waiting to hear back if I was going to get a scholarship for chiropractic school. I had already taken my visits, uh, for both, um, was trying to make a decision. Obviously when I make that decision, I know track and field is over pretty much for the rest of my days at that point. Um, so I just decided, okay, I'm going to retire from track. I'm going to go out here and be a normal guy who gets a regular job and just enjoy life moving forward. And it wasn't changed until I actually made the decision to go to chiropractic school. I went to Life University and ironically, they had a golf club. It was an NAIA school. So in their golf club, they had this thing where you got to hit unlimited range balls for $25 a quarter. So a hundred bucks a month, they had this range three miles down the road and you could hit all the golf balls you wanted to until the cows came home. I mean, yes. I'm all, I'm in. What I wouldn't give for that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, but that was the, so there's a, you know, there's a series of events that go through um, and change people's lives. And for me, you know, that's why I always tell people, you know, man plans and God laughs. Um, What you think you have planned, you don't have, you don't have a plan for it, but I end up going to the school. Uh, I actually get kicked out of the school for not going to class, which is hilarious. Um, because I was like, man, I went to my world, I went to a world championship, uh, qualifier and I lost, um, I lost two days in a row in the final round at the last chance qualifier. I lost to Joe Miller who ended up winning world championships that year in 2010. And I lost to Ryan Winter who ended up winning world championships in 2013, I want to say. And I lost to both of them in the last, the last spot on the last, it was just literally the two of us on the tee box. One is going into world championships, one's going home. And back-to-back days, I lost to those two guys. And I remember I, I got obsessed. I remember watching it on, you know, the live feed and seeing these guys go from round to round to round. And I was just heartbroken and pissed off. And I was like, man, if these guys won, I could win. And I got totally just into a whole nother realm. I kept hitting golf balls. I was doing my school work, but I wasn't going to class. Uh, Guy Reekman kicked me out of school. I said, man, you're not showing up to class. You're going to mess up our accreditation. You got to go. And he was like, but before you do that, I want you to come back and talk to me. 
at three o'clock and this is at like 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, man, I just got kicked out of school. I'm not going to tell my parents <laughs> I got kicked out of school. This was, and then you want me to come back at three o'clock, man. Uh, if I come back at three o'clock, I'm burning this building to the ground. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to talk to you. He's like, man, just trust me, come back. And that was the first kind act of generosity that I had ever seen at that level. Uh, my man pulled out his black card, said, what was my schedule? And he paid for an entire season on his black card right there at three o'clock whoa like he paid entry fee flight hotel rental car done and he did it for i want to say it was 12 to 15 events i went to sweden twice i went to spain i mean he paid for all right there and he was like this is going to get you the start that you need who who is this man i mean not not because i want to call him (laughs) but i just (laughs) but i mean like describe this person um, he is the, he's a golf enthusiast for sure. Uh, he was the president. Now he's the chancellor of life university, which is a chiropractic school out of Marietta, Georgia. Um, he and I had grown to know each other over the time that I was there. He definitely took a liking to me, um, mainly because of a guy who coach Barrett, who died a few years ago, who's the athletic director. And he and I had a wonderful relationship. He was, um, the person who kind of, I went to a tournament and I just was like, eh, he asked me how to go. And I told him, he was like, oh, well, you know, we'll make sure you get to more tournaments. And I was like, yeah, right. Whatever, dude, like, this isn't what I'm here to go to school. And, um, but they were two of the most influential people, especially early in my career that, that got me going. I guess the ironic part of it was the whole time I was competing after he purchased the, um, you know, all my events and everything, I was actually homeless. So I was sleeping in my car for three months um, because when I got kicked out of school, I got kicked out of the dorms. You can't be in the dorms on campus and, you know, um, live out of school and living on campus. That's just, that's not how it works. So I got kicked out of the school. Um, and from there, I slept on people's couches, slept in parking lots, slept in parking garages in my car. Um, just, just was the way it went. Um, it's funny to hear, I was going to talk to you right now about your successes, right? And, and how there are so many things that you have on your portfolio of, you know, world long drive champion, and then a host of other awards below that and, and, and competitions won, um, as you get into more comfortable with your long drive career, um, first person hit a ball over Niagara Falls, I was kind of thinking about all those things. And I was going to ask you what, what sticks out to you? What, what, what means the most to you? But actually, I want to even make it a more pointed question. Because you just told me about this man who essentially sponsored you, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it'd be maybe more interesting to talk about how you've now come full circle to do that for other people. And your Grow the Game initiative is very pointedly aimed at creating the experience you've had for others. Can you, can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, I've had that experience twice. Um, it happened in, that was 2011, 2012, 2011, something like that, uh, with Dr. Reekman. And I made the most of it. Honestly, I did. I didn't swander it away. Um, kept in, I still keep in contact with that man to this day. Uh, and then it happened again in 2015, um, ironically with my uncle, <laughs> And I would have never asked him to sponsor me, but one of his friends was asking me, um, you know, what's the difference between you and the number one ranked person in the world? And I said, money. 
And, you know, you get people hear that all the time, especially in the golfing world. There's a lot of guys who say, oh, if I had cash, I'd be Brooks Kepka or Justin Thomas. No, they wouldn't. Um, but for me, that was absolutely the case. And, you know, he came and sponsored me for a season and I went to number one in the world really fast um, because of that. I became one of the a guy who was eh, sort of OK known. Um, to a guy who was definitely a dominant force in the sport of long drive. And for me, I look at it really, really simple. You know, we've, especially since June, we've been talking about social injustice. We've been talking about golf. We've been talking about the lack of diversity in the game of golf. And one thing that has been constant is people saying, well, finance, finance, finance has always been the difference. And I experienced that finance was definitely a part of it. Um, for me as an individual. And I said, well, what can I do to change it? How can I give back what was given to me? And I think that that's a big part of it is being able, you can't re ever repay a debt. You know, if you give me 10 bucks and that's the last 10 bucks you may have, but it's, you know, it's just it's essentially 10 bucks. But if I'm hungry or I don't have anything and that 10 bucks legitimately saves my life, that 10 bucks is actually probably more like a thousand bucks. It could have been a million bucks, you know, something like that. And where does that individual move forward in life and how many other lives are they able to change and all this other stuff. So you can't ever, you know, pay back that debt, but you can pay it forward. That's always been my look at life. Um, and if I gave Guy Reekman, whatever it was, I think it was probably about 15, 20 grand, or if I gave my uncle 50 grand, which was the, what he gave me the first year, I, you know, I could easily give both of those that money and it still wouldn't show exactly how meaningful it was to me in my life and as minorities we see there's 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 not a lot of help to or structure to help minorities get out in the game of golf um, you hear these stories about guys who are members of country clubs and you know you get 10 guys or seven guys 20 guys to back this person and they all throw in maybe a thousand bucks a piece or whatever the number may be to give this individual an opportunity to go out there and play. Well, if you look at your affluent or high dollar country clubs, first things first is your black membership is less than 5% at best. And I mean, that is a, that's a really high number. It's probably more like three, one to 3% at best. Well, all right. If you're looking at one to 3%, um, how many of those young people, either male or female, are going to have the exposure to be around the people that are going to make that decision or give them that opportunity. Um, and then how many of these individuals are going to programs like Alabama, Oklahoma state, Vandy, Duke, uh, all these big time golf programs. You don't see it uh, not to be funny, but if you look at the NCAA championships, you'll see everything but a black male and a black female. You'll see Asian, you'll see, uh, I know there are a lot of Indian um golfers coming up and things like that but the one thing you're not seeing is is black golfers you look at stanford when the women's won uh the women's team won their title and mariah stackhouse was you know pretty much the anchor of that squad and you know she she put it on her back and made it happen even when she comes out and goes into the lpga she doesn't meet with the fanfare that she deserved coming from being this great collegiate player that had the you know, kind of like the, the, the Burrow syndrome with LSU, you know, she brought Stanford to a whole nother level and then she gets out there and the sponsorship's just not there for her. Like you would see with some of these ladies who are coming out and get on the LPGA tour. 
And so I had to figure out a way. He said, all right, well, what can I do? If I'm not a part of the solution, I'm a part of the problem. And I had to do something. And I decided to do the Grow the Game initiative where we're going to sponsor six golfers, three male, three female. So it has to be equality in that. Um, and give them 50 grand to go out there and play. Um, and it's not going to be 50 grand all at one time. It's going to be 50 grand over the course of 10 months just to save number one, the athlete from feeling the pressure of having all this money and how do we money manage, but also if the athlete gets hurt, if the athlete gets hurt, the money goes on freeze. And when they're back and they're able to come back, the money's still there for them. Um, but the other side of it is for me, the program's only going to last four years. If there is no true hard up evidence that shows that money was the issue. If we don't have people who are corn fairy status moving towards the, you know, PGA tour or ladies who have made it from the Symmetra to the LPGA, uh, or we don't have, you know, I don't know, European tour and all these other things where people are actually out there, they're playing well, they're at the high level there. They may be one or two steps off the PGA tour. They're Mondaying into events and things of that nature. I'll shut the program down because then that would prove that money is not the difference. Um, it's like any other case study. You can't make it a, a black hole. You know, I can't go and ask people like yourself or anyone else to donate five or $10,000 and then come back to you in a year and be like, Hey, Eric, how's it going, buddy? It's that time again. Need that 10 grand off you, homie. You're like, okay, well, where's my ROI? And for this one, the return on investment is you have to see results. That's what it's really all about. And if we're not seeing athletes with results, then that means it's not money that's the problem. It's the athletic ability or the dedication and the drive that's the problem. And this goes back to the self-evaluation. You have to start being honest. Um, I think in today's society, it's very easy to use the crutch of racism um, and say that things are racist. I, I really get questionable when I start talking about that because I am certain that racism exists because I've experienced it. But the only reason why I can, I can say I've experienced racism is because I've dotted all my I's and crossed all my T's. Um, the only time you can really truly pinpoint something as racist or something as being a biased is when you have done everything in your humanly power. You have never, you haven't left an opportunity for someone to say, well, see, this is why we didn't do this. Um, when I look at my long drive career being a world champion, that means I should have gotten everything that every other world champion in front of me got. And if I didn't get those things, well, there's only one separating thing by being the first black person to win a world title. You know what I mean? That's just because it can't be the publicity. I had more publicity than any other world champion ever. Um, obviously, that the more it gains publicity, obviously, I do have a, a slight little kick up with that part but that's just a technicality you know but when I look at it I, I get I'm very careful to call people racist um, because unfortunately once that title is placed on an individual it's one that you can't get off you you talked a lot about um you know generosity and you know I, I heard a phrase a few years ago that fucking threw me upside down it was and I want to ask you about this in particular, but the, the, the quote was, I need all the help I can give. Yes. And I know that you're a man of a uh, deep spiritual life. H how does that filter into 
where you're at now with your golf game, with your, with your golf career, with your golf platform, with your, with you. Yeah. I've actually had this conversation ironically with a current PGA tour player. <laughs> uh, and Tiger the conversation, was. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I can guarantee it wasn't him, but I explained to this gentleman that he would never win until he understood that what he was fighting for was something bigger than himself. See, a lot of times people don't understand that the result is actually tied to the work and not the work that you do, but the work that you will do when you actually get to the point where you're getting. I remember I had an interview with Golf Digest. This was 2014. I met this guy, Dana Upshaw, who was a famous club builder in Warner Robins, Georgia, of all places. And he had this article back then comparing me and Dustin Johnson, ironically. How funny is that? Um, in the same sentence, talking about club head speed and all this other stuff. I had broken my hand, ironically, again, how we are, here we are again. Um, and I, I was in the soft cast at that time. I took the soft cast off and he had me swinging a few balls and literally just fresh out of a soft cast. I was going about 145, 147 miles an hour. And he said he had never seen anything like that before. Fast forward a few months, guy asked me from Golf Digest doing a follow-up to the interview. He said, well, Dana saw all this stuff in you. Why haven't you won yet? And I said, well, because I'm not ready to win. You know, at that point, I was very angry. I was pissed off with how I was being treated in the game of golf and the people in long drive and all these other things. And I wasn't able to handle what was going to come with winning. I definitely wasn't going to be able to make effective change uh, in the lives of others. Everything I would have done would have been beyond selfish. I can assure you that. No no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So if people start to understand that I need all the help I can give, they'll understand that your success is tied with how you're going to give back. Um, it's not a, I, I know we live in a world where it's I, 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 me, me, me. And, you know, there are quite a few people who do give back. They don't do it publicly. I know that today people kind of give back for the likes and they do, you know, all this other stuff for the likes. But that is there is no doubt in my mind that you are solely connected with your purpose as a human being. And so if you don't live up to your purpose, then you'll never actually see your full potential. And that's on both sides of the ball. All right. And we got some Theragun action for you, y'all. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh in on your body. Uh, whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me, hey, what's that supposed to mean, guys? Just trying to make it through the day tension-free. Theragun can't help. So Theragun is the handheld percussive device that relieves your tension muscles and during a unique scientifically, wow, collaborate, calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. I need the Theragun right now because I need the Theragun in my brain. Uh, it's quiet as an electric toothbrush, and that's a fact, Jack. Uh, Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension. Kind of like a driving range session where you find something. Using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. 60%. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or injury and just the stress of everyday life, there's no substitute for Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen is what's up. Uh, so anyway, check it out. The, uh, the Theragun for 30 days starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash Eric right now to get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash Eric. Lessen your pain and allow you to feel more relaxed and better. 
Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right, folks. Precision Pro, proud sponsor of Random Golf Club. Big fans of this crew. Precision Pro's mission is to help golfers feel confident with quality range finders at an affordable price. Well, mission accomplished because they did it. They've been around for seven years and were the first to introduce a sub two bill slope range finder. That's under $200. And now they're still the one and only company that offers lifetime free battery replacement services, which is honestly really rad. But they didn't stop there. They continue to innovate throughout the years. And their fourth generation range finder has all the features that golfers need to help them get to know their distances and improve the games. Because uh, best of all, there's a random golf club version. I actually want to offer, I, w- I went to their offices and sat down with their designer to create a range finder with the random golf club flair to it. It's beautiful. Our listeners can receive an extra $20 off the random golf club range finder or any of their laser range finders by using the code RGC20. That's RGC20. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. So if you're listening and you want to support this mission, you uh, you go to growthegame.golf, which is a great, like it's an incredible website, first of all. Great, great job securing that. Growthegame.golf. And there's different levels that you can pledge um, and uh, support this mission, which I think, you know, I, I personally, hearing you talk, you know, we've never had the chance to sit down and talk like this. We've, we've kind of... <laughs> You we've know what I mean? together. We've, yeah, we we've had a lot of calls that haven't we haven't really been able to like dig into this. But dude, my takeaway is I want to see uh, the Maurice Allen Academy. I want to see you like um, you know on Sunday sermon, just just out there <laughs> on the range, just like yeah yeah. You've dropped some bangers, by the way, Brady. That last bit is a great snippet too. I mean, you know, it's like you you have the ability, like you you. Right. Like your time, I, I would, I would, I would like to invest in that, in, in how you could energize and empower and motivate young people and, and, and really get them on the right golf track, not the selfish golf track, but the selfless golf track. I would love to see that. I'd love to talk about how that could happen in a meaningful way. Got an idea for you whenever uh, we get back to a sense of normalcy. I've had this thing for a few years, man. I wanted to do a Maurice Allen 360 motivational speaking tour. You know, you go to 12 yes. different cities, major markets. You take these golf camps that kids have or, or golf courses already have going on. You find a central location. You bring 10 to 12 of these different golf camps that are actively going on with 40, 50 kids. Bring them all together. Find a, you know, a, a uh, athletic apparel company every kid comes in there and they're kind of like walking the red carpet you know they come in they get a swag bag they get go take their pictures taken boom 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 we go to these different places and as we're there we bring you know some tour players if we're close to where a tour stop would be um and try to actually would be better to do it in conjunction with the tour where tour players come in and they kind of make a cameo we do it early in the week um also find some other professional athletes that are in those cities all the major markets have them so it wouldn't just be one sport you find out you know who's not really busy at that time even if it's baseball and they have an off day hey you come and show your support just show these kids that this game is cool that everybody's playing it um 
and kind of give them some some nuggets, but give them a, a absolute awesome half day or three quarters of a day of just an experience to go out there and kind of change their life and mm-hmm. just show them the game of golf, some chipping, some putting, some driving, the whole nine yards. But most importantly, it's all about just keeping this game growing in the in the right manner and moving forward. Um, I know every athlete says they play the best game in the world and I've had the blessing and opportunity to play so many professional sports, but this one is, this is a, is a whole nother ball game. It's more of a, I wouldn't even call it a sport. It's a spiritual experience with yourself. Make a t-shirt. That's a (laughs) t-shirt. It's like, it's like the bottom half is like the track and field outfit. The top half is like robes and thorns. like instead of the the golf flag it's just a, a cross and you're just bowing in front of it <laughs> i mean that that is that is what this game is man it, it's the only game that i mean think about it i i saw this thing when i was at the uh one of these junior tournaments i think it was like the hurricane and you know the parents get so wrapped up in the kids playing because they're living vicariously through their kid and this kid hits a ball, hits it into the water. And dad's like, damn it, you hit the ball in the water. Blah, blah, blah. He's, he's just going ape, right? And the kid turns around. I was like, well, yeah, dad, you know what? I absolutely meant to hit it into water. I wanted to lose the tournament. Thanks for making me feel better. I was like, whoa. I was like, hot sauce. Funny how the, the kid was the adult and the adult was the kid in that scenario. You know what I mean? But wow. It, it, was, it was so, so cool for, to watch that. And it just kind of showed me how the game is so it it's so different it, it's it's trippy compared to anything else this has been a great interview i i really appreciate your time Maurice. it's been really like entertaining and, and enlightening i i have one more kind of thing i wanted to talk to you about just in in closing you um this time last year we as a community of humans on a planet mostly in America, didn't really know how our lives are going to change, hopefully for the better with, with, um, with regards to, you know, human rights issues, uh, you know, especially in the microcosm of golf. Um, it's, it's a lot of it has been, you know, you talked about lack of social media when you were getting into it. Now there is no lack of social media. There's almost too many apps. And what's interesting is <clears throat> it seems that our uh, our lives exist a lot on social media in a good way, not just not not a bad way. But 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 we we um, we have these platforms, right? We have these places that we can talk about the things that we believe in. Um, and what we've been talking about has changed a lot. I would imagine that um, your your most recent post, which by the time this airs, may not be the one, but it's it's the one where you're talking about being pulled over, um, and what that experience was like. Um, would you have posted that a year ago? Honestly, um, straight up. Straight up, you know what's funny, man, is when I won in 2018, and it's it's not out there anymore. I have to find a clip and send it to you. I, in my victory speech on the world long drives stage live on golf channel, I said that I was the prayers of slaves that were beaten and raped in the field. Um, I know a lot of people are starting to feel comfortable with 
I guess, speaking out on social justice. Um, me as an individual, I've always felt the obligation to do it. Um, my background is slightly different than most. Uh, my parents were civil rights people. Um, they were civil rights demonstrators. I had an uncle, I had three uncles that were Black Panthers. Um, that's all I've ever been around. That's all I've ever known. My mom was, uh, if you've ever seen the movie Hidden Figures, Catherine Global was my mother's boss. Um, you know, coming from a set of grandparents where my grandmother was a maid and my grandfather was a janitor understanding and seeing that struggle from a gentleman who's probably been pulled over and had more guns thrown in my face from police officers than I can ever count. Um, and only not because I was doing anything incriminating, it was really because of the cars that I was driving at the time. Um, unfortunately, I've, I have this vision thing. I don't know if it's premonition, I don't know what it is, but I see things and I see things long before they happen. 2020 PGA show, the call out, I put the world of golf on notice about the major manufacturers not recognizing Black History Month, not recognizing the contributions of Black people in the game of golf. Ironically, everybody always talks about Tiger, and that's God complex. I'm not here to question or comment on someone's Blackness. Um, that's not what I'm here to do, but I know that they use him as a crutch, and there have been Charlie Siffers. Calvin Peets, Ted Rose, I can go down the list of other people who have made serious contributions to this game, even the former world champ, Joe Lewis. Um, and, you know, th those things go without being acknowledged, but Women's Sports Day, Women in Golf Day, T-Shirt Day, Sunglass Day, all these, Pet Day, all these other things are recognized in the world of golf heavily on their social media. Um, remember, social media is how you're going to speak to the young people. And there's still no recognition from the about 95% of the golf manufacturers as we're sitting here on the 10th day of February of Black History Month at all. Even if they did it just to shut me up. I think the real heartbreaker, I had two heartbreakers in 2020. The first for me was the day that Kobe died, uh, not only because a legend was lost, but I saw how the world of golf, you know, paid homage to Kobe. And Black History was five days later. And it was funny to me because, or the heartbreak to me, the irony in it was we were able to be gladiators and be recognized for what we had done in sport, but not truly be recognized for our accomplishments and everything that we had done in life. Um, as someone who's accomplished so much, uh, it's hard for people to find or even know that I hit the ball across Niagara Falls. Um, I've actually been in interviews with other golf people and the conversation was, you know, I thought that would have gotten more press. And if John Daly had did it or if Kyle Berkshire had done it or any of the, my other white counterparts had done it, it probably would have been sung from the hilltops. Um, and that is a big reason why Black History Month exists because there's so many things that we have done that we never got the recognition for. We didn't get the fanfare for. The Tuskegee Airmen flew back in the night in, in, in the World War and they didn't get recognized until 2005. You know, so many people have lost lifetimes of true recognition for the things that they've done that are a part of the fabric of the American society in this melting pot that we live in, which is actually has contributions from all walks of life. But for some reason, our walk is not really heavily documented, nor is it recognized outside of our own community. And I would say the second heartbreak that I had was unfortunately, and you can go back and look at my 
Memorial Day post of 2020. And I had a lot of people upset with me about that post. You know, Memorial Day is for the, you know, the service members and the people who've paid the ultimate price by sacrificing their lives. And I said, well, there's another group that's paid the ultimate price, which are, you know, if you look at the Black Lives Matter golf shafts that I have, you know, those names that are on those shafts are the people who have played, paid the ultimate price, the Trayvon Martins, the George Floyds, Breonna Taylors, Tamir Rice, you know, I can go down the whole list of them. And I wrote that post and the craziest part of it all was wrote that post at like eight, nine o'clock in the morning. I wake up every morning and I pray and some people meditate. I don't meditate. I just wait for God to speak to me. And I was told to write that post in the exact way that I wrote that post. 12 hours later, George Floyd was dead. And obviously if I had seen that, I would have done something. I would have tried to do something. Um, but I got a lot of hate mail because of that post. And you'll, you'll probably go back and look at it after this. But the truth of the matter is Martin Luther King was assassinated 53 years ago. And, you know, Black people have been saying a change is going to come one day. Well, 53 years is definitely a minimum of two generations, could be three. How many dreams have been lost? How many amazing, let's look at it in the world of golf, how, many, how much amazing talent have we lost in 53 years? Tiger Woods, people talk about Tiger. Well, how many Tigers could there have been in a 53-year process? If you look at the world of golf, prior to Tiger, there were four people on, four Black people that had PGA Tour status at any given time. Everybody talks about this post-Tiger renaissance. Ironically, since Tiger, today we are at the most Black people on tour at any given time to actually hold cards, which would be Bramlett, Champ, Woods, and Varner. So nothing has changed. How many dreams have we lost? Yeah, people are doing stuff now. Obviously, Kamayu Johnson is playing in an event this week. Willie Mack played in an event last week. Kevin Hall is playing in an event. Um which is cool, but then you look at journeymen like Tim O'Neill who have been around for years and never gotten the credit that they deserve. Tim's almost 50 now. Um, at some point it has become personal. At some point this game of golf that was invented and, and made for nobles and kings and queens has to live up to what it says. We have to get out of this whole thought process that this elitist sport doesn't include everybody. Um, you look at the country clubs, the people who are at these, you know, famous affluent country clubs are people who sit on boards for all types of fortune 500 and up companies. And if they don't have equality in their personal life, they'll never have equality in their professional life. That's just honest. So, you know, I've always been outspoken. I've said some stuff that a lot of people don't like, but I only know how to talk and speak the truth makes friends sometimes does it is it polarizing i hope so i hope that it pisses people off enough to make change because at the end of the day you and i are going to be gone in whatever that time frame may be we'll be dead and gone but the only thing that will matter is what did we do while we were here did we make life better um you know and on my hats and on my yardage book it's funny my my yardage book i have this saying Immortal, I'm sorry, indestructible, invincible, immortal. And it's on my yardage book. And it's, it's on, it was on the back of my hats for years um, because truly I'm trying to seek immortality. And it's not the immortality from the stance of I'm going to live forever, forever, but more so immortality from the stance of I will continuously make change so long after I'm gone. I'll know that 
the spirit of me and the things that I've done while I was here will continue to live on. I'm just going to excuse myself. I have no, <laughs> what the fuck, man? You, uh, I'm a different I, person, man. Everybody I can't even unpack it. Every, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's different, man. When you live it, man. Um, and that was the thing, like even this thing with the police, you know, I've, I've struggled. I've, I've heard that a lady, I just had a phone call last night with a, a sergeant and she was explaining to me, she said, well, the, the sheriffs or the deputies are allowed to criminally profile. I said, well, what crime did I commit? It was literally, I was driving an I-8, you know, $160,000, $170,000 car in a middle to low income black neighborhood. I don't have any problems in my neighborhood or in the neighborhood I grew up with. In the neighborhood I grew up in, my parents have lived in that house for years. Um, the people in the neighborhood know who I am. They love who I am. They know they love the things I'm doing in the neighborhood. And ironically, I get pulled over for failure to stop behind the stop bar. And I was like, did I actually make a stop? And she said he had probable cause to even search my car if he wanted to. And I said, well, what have I, what crimes have I committed? I mean, at some point in life, man, we got to stop living with the lies. You know, I made a post the other day. I don't know if you saw it. I said, we laugh and we joke with people or we, we ridicule people for things that they can't control, birth defects, you know, being overweight and things like that. But for some reason, we find a way to accept the shortcomings in people's lives and make excuses for it. being an asshole, not being courteous, being nasty, lying, so on and so forth. We'll accept those things, but things that people can't control, we won't accept, which is sad. It's, it's different, man. I think I don't, I don't get on the boat of saying, you know, a lot of people get out there and say, oh, I hate white people. White people are the devil. My sister's white. No, I'm serious, but my sister's white. My sister's white. I mean, I have an adopted, I have four adopted families that over the course of my life, everywhere I've lived, I've had these people that have literally come into my life that I love them like my parents. And, you know, I got to send you the picture of all of us together. It's the, it's the craziest thing ever. Like, and when I gave the scholarships last year, actually gave the scholarships and then I named a scholarship after each, each one of the families, just, you know, as a way of saying, thank you for everything that they did to help me grow and mature as an individual and as a human being. But I mean, I think the, and I had this conversation yesterday, man. Uh, are you, you familiar with moonshine? I don't drink, but I don't drink either. Okay. So, but you're familiar with the show moonshiners. No. Okay. Uh, this famous show about, you know, bootlegging and traditionally moonshine is a very hillbilly hick thing. There's this famous moonshiner, Popcorn Sutton out of uh, Tennessee. His grandson is one of my best friends. How funny is that? Redneck. But I mean, it's, we're not all that different, man. You need to go watch this movie, The Kingdom. The movie, The Kingdom, I know it's a very sad movie. It's about fighting and, and, and bombing, which took place in the Middle East. But if you look at it, there's this line which Jamie Foxx gives this uh, lady from Million Dollar Baby. You know, one of his friends got killed and he whispered into her ear, you know, we're going to kill them all. At the end of the movie, there's this guy who's a terrorist who gets killed by the good guys, you know, the, the agents. And he whispers into his grandchild's ear, don't worry, we're going to kill them all. We all want the same things. We all want to live, be peaceful, be happy. We just have two different ways of getting it. But ironically, it shows that there's no difference between any of us at all. 
what do you want to do? You want to wake up? You want to enjoy life? Same thing everyone else wants to do. It's not, it's, it's not different. You may, you may like loud colors. I may like bland, you know, you may like fish. I might like shrimp. It's okay. We can both eat and be happy and sit at the same table. People just have to start looking at it differently, man. And I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. There's a lot of things that, uh, that, that need a wrapper to like get disseminated for, for change. Right. And, and there's all different ways that you can look at it. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is almost if, if everyone could just see a situation just a little bit differently, you know, how, how meeting a stranger could be an incredibly valuable experience, how someone else's life might be very different from yours, whatever it is. I think it's really, I think it's really incredible that you've done what you've done with what you have as far as not just sticking to the golf, right? And I'm, I'm really grateful for all of this. The story of, you know, the, the acceptance speech uh, and the story of posting about what would become the, the Black Lives Matter movement with George Floyd about that morning. I mean, that's just crazy stuff. Maurice, that's, that's yeah. just, that's all awesome. it, 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 uh, it means something <laughs> big, I think. And that's why I just think, you know, the, the game and, and the people that haven't even played the game or tried the game really need you to be talking a lot. And that's why I was moved profoundly when you said, how many dreams have we lost? Because we don't think about that. Nobody does. I do think about it every single day. It's a, uh, it's probably the hardest thing to wake up to. And I mean, I remember when I hit the ball across Niagara Falls, I had this big press release. I was ready. I, I was telling everybody, hey, let's get on Fallon. Let's get on Good Morning America. Let's get on this. Let's do this. Let's move this thing. This is epic. I don't know if you've ever seen footage of me hitting the ball across Niagara, but I remember the coolest thing about it is I got a text from my mom after I did it. And she said, welcome to immortality. It was like the coolest thing I'd ever had in my life. Um, and my brother, you know, he texted me before I went out there. He said, go be immortal. And I didn't think I was ever going to be able to do it. It was, it was, I don't know. I did it in four tries, which was awesome. I literally had 250 golf balls. <laughs> Never thought it was going to be that fast. But I remember when we were getting ready to release the footage, and I remember hearing back and the statement I got from them was, well, we'll wait and see if it goes viral. We'll wait and see if John Daly posts about it. And then if it goes viral and all this other stuff, then we'll make some moves. And it wasn't because I didn't have the, the dreams or the aspiration or the forward, forward thinking enough to say this is a huge moment in my life or a huge moment potentially in golf or a huge moment for just people in general. It's not even black, just people in general. Um, it was the powers that be thought, you know, nah, we'll just wait. And that's happened. I remember when I won world championships, two days later, I sent Golf Channel an email. Hey, these are the things we need to do. And one of them was actually the ESPN body edition. That could have changed. But they ended up getting Brooks Capcom. So, you know, much better, much better than me. Did but okay. um, 
you know, and it was like standing there with the belt. They could have done two golfers, I guess, but standing there with the belt wrapped around me and, you know, just that type of thing. And I was getting in shape and all this other stuff. But people don't understand that I didn't play golf as a kid growing up because I didn't see people who looked like me who were cool. All I saw were the guys with the khakis. You weren't going to get any girls. There was no swag. There was no nothing. And unfortunately, due to my ignorance and my defiance from my dad trying to get me to play, I probably missed out on a lifetime of amazing lessons. Not saying I would have been on the tour, not, not even going close to that. Those guys are really awesome. good. Um, but I missed out on just learning more about myself earlier as a human being. I probably would have treated people earlier in my life completely different. I would have been a better human being earlier. I was a terrible human being at one point. Um, I just would have been so much better of a person. I would have done so much more in the world if I had met this game earlier in life. And that's the harsh reality, you know, even with girls I dated in college and how I treated them, I treated a lot of people terrible because I was the hot stuff on the track team. I was like, I'm all American. What's up? You know, if I, if it's not me and you, I can go get somebody else. But that was because I didn't. Yeah. But you know, it was cold blooded because I didn't, I didn't appreciate what was in front of me. Most kids don't though. Most kids don't, but I think this game makes you a little sense of awareness. Remember in golf, you mark your ball and you watch where you're walking and you, you show respect to someone else who's hitting, you get that consideration. Even in tournament golf, you're watching your through line to make sure, you know, you're not in somebody's through line when they're putting, you mark the ball instead of putting your feet there, even something so simple as that. And those are concepts that you understand early and they may not reach you. Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying, okay. They may not have reached me till I was 30. That's fine. And my parents instilled all that stuff, but I wasn't in a place where I was actively using it in track or in football and all these other stuff. You're not actively thinking about anybody, but your teammates, Mm. you don't, you don't care about that. You're looking at your squad and whatever you have to do to beat the other squad. Let's roll. Mm. Baseball is a game where you heckle people the entire time. I mean, think about it. You heckle someone in baseball the entire time. Golf, you have to show respect to this other individual. And if they hit a ball closer than you, you find a way to, all right, they stuff the pin, go make the putt, go make the chip, get it back on the next hole. Whatever it is, you always have to continue to elevate yourself rather than distract the other person. That's the difference in the game of golf. Golf is a game of elevation, not distraction. It's crazy when you really look at it at its purest form. So ultimately, if you're elevating yourself on the golf course, you're going to elevate yourself in life the more and more you play. No other no other way of doing it. It's, it's just, it's that's what makes this game so beautiful, man. It is literally the most beautiful game ever. Because the only opposing force is yourself. Nothing else. Even if I'm playing you, I, like I said, you hit it in the fairway. I hit it on the green. You don't care that I hit it on the green. Your objective is still to get the ball in the hole in the few, you know, fewest number of strokes. So what do you do? You go stiff it. Uh, take that. I'm out here trying to make the putt. Dang, I missed the putt. All right. Boom, boom. Par. I mean, birdie. We dap up and we go to the next hole. Hey, man, great. And you know what you have to say? Man, great birdie. Man, great birdie. You have to show respect to that person and what they did. You don't have to like it, but you have to respect it. And then eventually, over time, that respect will grow to an appreciation of the greatness that's in that other individual. And most importantly, if you look at every major athlete, they always say that there was somebody that made them step up. It was always somebody who was a catalyst for their greatness. Even if that other person didn't achieve the same hierarchy of greatness as that individual did in the sport, 
There's always something driving that individual and golf is just a perfect example of it. You don't see great performances in golf. Brooks, Brooks won this weekend. Why? He chipped the ball in. He came out of nowhere. He was chasing the field. So he had to elevate himself to greatness. It's different, man. It's, it's so trippy. Uh, we'll be cutting this together for your um, motivational speaking tour that <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be coordinating. Um, look, man, a lot of profound things. Um, I, what I really want to do is just get face to face and, and play some golf. Sure. Um, maybe we can do that soon. It'd be great to have a, more of a sit down. I, I want to unpack. I mean, there were so many things that I wasn't able to pick up on because we, you know, we only go an hour usually. So let, let us just circle back. I want to have a second date is what I want to do. Well, like I said, thank you so much, Maurice, for your time and your insight and your inspiration on this game that we love and, and really being brave enough to take the first steps toward making the game a better place for everybody. Um, it's not easy to walk out there alone. All good, man. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, Friends but... like you makes it easier. And hopefully people will see this. Hopefully people will go to growthegame.golf and they'll they'll donate and I can change the lives of some individuals like mine was changed. That's all. That's all I want to do. Beautiful mission. And yes, we'll absolutely, you know, if, if people don't donate, then they're kicked out. So that's it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you, it. Thank you. Love you guys, man. Thanks so much, man. Y'all yeah. have a good Thank week. You. Be safe out there.